Well, how is everybody doing this morning? Hey, if you believe it is good to be in the house of the Lord, that there is no place you would rather be, would you just give him one more shout of praise? Come on. We really believe at one church, we are unashamed that we believe the joy of the Lord is better than anything you could ever see in this world. Better than any drinking, better than any partying, better than any relationship, better than any jet skiing, boat, house, you name it. The joy of the Lord is different. And the joy of the Lord is a reason for us to praise, amen? The joy of the Lord is something we're unashamed about here at One Church. And so we're so excited to jump in this morning. My name is Andy, if we haven't met, by the way. I'm excited this morning. Um, Hopefully I didn't lose my voice just yet. That's why I took a step back from the microphone for a second. But I just want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time, if you're watching online right now, why don't we just give it up for those who are watching online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. There's a few things that you need to know at One Church before we jump in. I share somewhat of this type of phrase every time before we jump in. You belong here before you believe. You belong here in this community before you even believe, before you even profess that Christ is king, or if you believe that Christianity is even real, you have a place in this family. And we want you to know that. And yet we don't want to stop there. I don't want to just preach a message that will reach those who are far from God but close to us. But I want to empower you. Like, I want to challenge you. I want to share the real word of God with you, uncensored word of God, because we're living in such a time where truth, truth is hard to find. Truth is something that's very subjective. Truth is something that, well, it's your Facebook truth and it's your religion. But I came to remind you or to tell you maybe for the first time that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one else comes to the Father except through Christ. There is no other religion. There is no other thing. It is through Christ alone. And I love you enough to tell you that. And I love you enough to share the real word of God. And we're going we're gonna to really press in with a, a few things this morning that, that I think will, will be something that... It's going to hit probably a deep spot of our heart. No, even as I was preparing this series, uh, we're going to be talking about some heavier things. But I just want to challenge you to, to kind of come in with an open posture, an open mind. So would you pray with me one more time just as we open up the word together? Father, I thank you that your word is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword. And yet your word, though it is a double edged sword, is not meant to hurt us, but it's meant to lead us to guide us, to correct us. Lord, I pray that we would be people in this church that would be able to be adjusted by a feather and not by a hammer. That we would be so sensitive to your Holy Spirit over the next few moments, God, that you wouldn't have to get our attention, but we already give you our attention. Lord, I thank you that you are alive, you are breathing, that you sit at the right hand of the Father, and you're coming again, Jesus. But Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that the words that come out of my mouth would be led by the Holy Spirit, that you can take anything away from my message that is not of you, Lord, so that everyone under the sound of my voice, by the power of your Spirit, would be transformed into the likeness and the image of Jesus. And we're going to give you the glory in advance. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. amen and amen. I am so excited to start a new series, and it's called Fruitful, Fruitful. I'm really excited about this one. And I want to read a scripture for you as we jump in. John 15, 1 through 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, 
And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Everybody say prunes. Prunes. Now, uh, I just figured out what prunes were, like maybe this past year. I think fully. Uh, Just, I didn't plan on sharing that, but like my wife loves giving my daughter prunes. And I was like, prunes, I've, I've heard of that before. Is that like raisins or maybe, remember like the old raisin boxes? Okay, this is like my generation. All right, I'm sorry. Sometimes up here. Everybody say prunes. <laughs> we like to have fun here. It's okay to laugh in church. It's the joy of the Lord. And the reason why we are pruned, not because of the snack, but because of the pruning process that takes place on a branch of a tree, the reason is so that we would be even more, everybody say, fruitful. And I want to take, I think it's going to be the next four weeks, but I'll let the Lord decide on how long we're going to be talking about what it means to be fruitful. There's two questions I think everyone is asking in their life, whether you are a believer or not, whether you're watching online, or maybe you're brand new to church. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What is my purpose? It breaks my heart that, especially coming out of COVID, the suicide rates are off the charts. And obviously, our heart breaks. Maybe you've even known someone that has taken their life. Maybe you have a family member, a friend. I don't know who that might be. But I think these two questions hit deep in the pit of our soul. And if we don't know the answer to these questions, where do we go from there? On a little bit more of a lighthearted note, I want to share nine different words with you. Again, just before we fully jump into the message, Nine different words that I think, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether this is brand new to you or you've been following Jesus your whole life, I think one of these nine words you can probably relate to at some point as a motivation, as a goal for your life of what is success. Everybody say success. So what is success? I think here's three words. I think some people want to just be functional. Just just get by. Hey, I've been there in the past few days. Can we just be real? Can we just try to like get past today? Can we just make it, make sure nothing crazy happens? Everybody say functional. functional. But we're all very dysfunctional people. Let's just be real. Number two is familiar, comfortable or security. Striving and trying to find a place where everything's just safe, peace, security. Maybe you're someone that, that is uh, very, very on the intellectual side, just brilliant. You want to figure it out. You want to know why things work, how things work, why things tick, why things do what they do. And other people are like, I could care less about how that works, but you care. We need those people, right? Are you with me? Maybe that's been your purpose of life, four through six. Maybe you want to just be a fantastic person. I just thought this word was funny, all right? Maybe you just want to be a good person. Hey, I just want to have like a great uh, set of accolades. I want to be accomplished. I want people to like me. I want to just kind of have a good reputation. I think a lot of people see their purpose of life being that. Or maybe number five, flawless. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I can be a little OCD at times. Anybody? Okay. Like, I got to make sure things are, like, set straight. I got to make sure, like, okay, I, may, I might be a crazy person sometimes. But uh, flawless. Everybody say flawless. Maybe some of us are just trying to achieve a, a level of perfection. Six would be first. Maybe just you want to beat out others. You're so competitive. You just want to make sure you're on top. Here's three more words. Favored, being wanted and being needed 
by others. Eight, being famous, getting attention and praise from others. Or nine, maybe it's just life for you. The goal is just to have fun. To live, to live it up. To save up. To, to do as much as you can to finally reach a place where you just get to have fun the rest of your life. But more than any of these, I want to put this on the screen, more than any of these, God wants you to be fruitful. It's not that these nine things are all inherently bad. There's some good parts to each of them. There's some bad parts to each of them. But more than any of these things, and I'm going to tell you this over and over the next few weeks, God wants you and I to be fruitful. That's really his goal for our lives. As I think about what most people think about Christianity, when you look at kind of the American Christianity, even the world's perspective of Christianity, some people hate it, some people think it's okay, some people are like, yeah, I'm kind of down with it. But I think most people who somewhat understand what Christianity is about, they've boiled it down to one word, forgiveness. And that's the message of the cross. We're unashamed about that, that Jesus took our place He died on a cross for us. He rose three days later, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we would be made right with God again. Are you with me? Forgiveness. But the Lord doesn't want you to just be forgiven. He wants you to be fruitful. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there that are just cool with being forgiven, but they're not being fruitful. Like, I know God's forgiven me. I think I've said the prayer. I've gotten baptized. Like, Andy, I go to church every once in a while. Like, why would I need to be fruitful? I'm already forgiven. But Jesus came to remind us, there's there's so much more to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to take up your cross, to live abundant life. And so fruitful, I would break it down like this. Fruitful, two different things. Becoming like Jesus and reproducing like Jesus. Not just being forgiven, not just knowing, okay, I've got my ticket to heaven. I don't think I'm going to go to hell. I'm trying to be a good person. But scripture is very clear. No, no, that's just the beginning. Now you're on a journey to become more like Christ. It's a really theological world we call sanctification. To become more like him. That's not us trying to be God. That's what Satan tried to do. But we want to become more like him in character, in attitude, in thought. So we start to love people like Jesus would. So we start to serve people like Jesus would. Because there's a lot of Christians out there, they know they're forgiven. But they are not fun to be around. Are you with me? Because they're lacking the fruits of the Spirit. But we don't want to just stop there. We don't gather here to just become more like Jesus and step out and say, I'm more sanctified today than I was yesterday. That's awesome, right? That's not the purpose. We gather here, everybody say, for the one. We gather here to be refilled, to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to go out and say, now I must reproduce this. Now I must share this. But how many Christians just know they're forgiven, but they're not being fruitful? So, the title of my sermon this morning is this, Falling Fruit, Falling Fruit. And before I I, I just kind of encourage you through the rest of the message, there's about a five-minute video I want us to watch. And before we play it, this is a, a really cool moment. Shout out to the people that are a part of our congregation that are in this video. This is a moment where we pause and we said, God, in the middle of all the chaos and the division and all of the difficulties that we're going through right here in our own nation, you are still good. And even when we go through trials, even when we go through trauma or tragedy, God is still on his throne. Watch this video. When I was born, uh, my esophagus wasn't attached to my stomach. And so 
power went out. We didn't have the, uh, it was December, cold. Um, and the doctor that performed the surgery wasn't there. So what happened next was a miracle in itself. You know, starting back in like December and January, um, kind of a low point in my life, honestly, really, you know, struggling with depression and trying to find where I fit in here and there. And um, I know once I got invited to come here to one church and, you know, at first I was like, no, you know, the weekends are mine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my time for me from work. But um, I really felt the calling and I know it was the Lord speaking to me. And he said, he said, just go check it out, you know, see what it is. He goes, you know, you'll love it. I found Jesus my senior year of college, this 2019. Uh, and that was, you know, a very exciting moment, time in my life. You know, I was enthusiastic. My heart was on fire for the Lord. Um, I felt inclined to, to pray, you know, to read the scripture, talk about the gospel all the things we're supposed to do, right? And then, you know, what kind of happened was, you know, I graduated, I took that first corporate job, right? And I've been in corporate ever since. And it's, to your point, you know, I, I was living one foot in, one foot out. I was kind of, you know, and you talk about this, I was living as a cultural kind of Christian, right? The Christian that society has, you know, kind of come to. My, my life was changed when, um, when Jesus came into my life, uh, for real, for real. <laughs> I definitely had a season of my whole childhood being um, just kind of, uh, you know, knowing about the Lord and knowing that He cared for me and that He loved me, but not really having a deep relationship with Him. Um, I still remember the day that the Lord changed my life. Um, I remember just kind of faithfully, but also blindly, um, taking a step uh, towards the Lord for the first time, really fully surrendering. And that day was the biggest change in my life. Um, yeah, it's like, it's what's supposed to be a really exciting season, like we're getting married and um, there's just like a lot to celebrate, but it also feels like there's a lot of hard things going on and we, just recently lost my grandma and um, just recently went through like a short season of depression and we just had a lot of loss and it's been really hard to like see how God is working through that and to see what he's doing in those circumstances and so um, just recently I feel like he's really been pressing on my heart like to celebrate him in the midst of grief and sorrow and really hard things so I think you just kind of have to switch your perspective a little bit and um, and rest in his truth that like no matter what happens he's still good and you know we're never promised that um, like it would be easy and none of these things would happen but we are promised that he will provide us exactly with what we need and um, that he will show up for us and that he is faithful. And I mean we've seen people get baptized we've seen people come to Christ and decide they're going to make that that lifelong commitment to follow Jesus and it's just been it's been nothing short of a blessing man continuously and every week it's it's restored that I'm not a slave to man. You know, I'm a servant to the one that's on the throne. My entire life has been a gift. I'm thankful for the blessings I've received in my life and even the trials that I've been through. I just know that's just to make me stronger in the word and the faith of God. And so I chose to get baptized and enjoy the heavenly victory. I finally found peace. 
so much loneliness in our world, so many people that feel trapped or feel deserted, uh, feel isolated, and to have a community where they're accepted and loved and cared for is just an amazing thing. For someone who's experiencing pain of any sort or has, um, you know, just been uh, brought low in some way or is in their valley right now, I would say that um, the best thing that is comforting, at least in my opinion, is that um, the Lord provides community and the Lord um, provides His care through His Word. I remember the first time I came here and, and sat with Josh and I'm, I was immediately hooked. Immediately, I knew that this was the church for me and the, the place that I should be. Coming into this community has been, for us, just a huge breath of fresh air. I want to take the farthest as far and bring them in and just say, welcome home. We just clap for those that share. That's amazing. Just to see God's hand on their life. We uh, we're just a few months old as a little baby church. So I think what, what has it been? Four months or so? I don't even know. Four months? Yes? No? Okay. Yeah. Ish. But we wanted to do two things with that video. Number one, celebrate what God has done. So let's clap for that again. Just those baptisms, the lives that have been changed. But I wanted to share this as a part of my sermon to show you real-life testimonies from our own congregation of people that are saying, I don't just want to be forgiven. I want to be fruitful. I don't want to just talk about Jesus, but I want to be about Jesus, and I want to walk this thing out. And so the first main point as we jump in this morning is pruning is not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. Turn to your neighbor and just say, God is not out to get you. Turn to the person behind you and say, God is not out to get you. Some of you guys are hearing this and you're like, I think he has been chasing me down. I think I'm doing some crazy stuff. We would call that conviction if you're feeling that. Um, but John 15, 1 through 2, I want to read this again. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, and this is really important, Because if you're a believer this morning and you've already seen some fruit in your life, maybe it's the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe it's leading someone else to Christ. Maybe it's just sharing your faith somewhere. You're reproducing somehow. He prunes. Everybody say prunes. He prunes you so that you will be made even more fruitful. Pruning is not punishment. Okay, so I love how when I'm just trying to hear from the Lord and trying to figure out where where do we go in Scripture. God, what is the next chapter? The Lord always communicates to me in just these really unique kind of aha moments that I'm like, wow, I had no idea that would be happening at this time, at this place. And as I was thinking about this series and even the cover, as you see like the fruit kind of falling from that graphic for the fruitful series, I realized that there's this thing called the June drop. Anybody ever heard of that? No? Maybe this is made up. I hope it's not. I found it on Google. (laughs) The June drop, the internet tells me, is where these trees that have fruit actually begin to fall, especially in the month of June. And I was like, okay, interesting. And then I started to lean in a little bit more, and I started to dig into some commentaries and what some actual biblical scholars that have for sure true things to say 
Sarah Kuhn says this, pruning, if you're wondering what that actually is, the, the natural process and the spiritual process that Jesus talks about, pruning cleans away dead, dying, and diseased material. Pruning removes unnecessary branches. It reduces the weight on heavy limbs. That's why the June drop happens. Fruit that's old, fruit that is rotten, fruit that's not going to be good. It falls, and it reduces the size of the plant to help maintain the structural integrity. He does this, Christ, meaning to maximize the fruit production. And and the Lord always communicates in these parables throughout scriptures that we can understand. But I want to pause there and come back to the main point here for a second. Most people, most people, when they hear the word pruning or they think about the idea, they mistake it for punishment. Okay, God is punishing me. Like the trial I just went through, the way that person just talked to me or whatever, you fill in the blank. We think God is punishing us. And yes, when the end all be all comes, heaven and hell is on the line. God is just, right? God is king. He is a loving father. He is also judge. There will be an eternal punishment for those that don't know Christ. That is a real thing that you need to know about. But as we're following Jesus, as we're saying, I want to be a Christ follower, I'm speaking to believers for a moment, we need to know the difference between a trial and trauma. A trial and trauma. Everybody say trial. Everybody say trauma. So here's some trials that I think God allows intentionally for us to be strengthened. He allows us to be tested. God allows us to be trained. We're going to read more scripture about that. He allows us to be pruned. But trauma is a completely different thing. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. See, God doesn't want to harm you. He wants to strengthen you. There's a difference between trial and trauma. There's a difference between manipulation and training. There's a difference between abuse and testing. There's a difference between tragedy and pruning. Are you with me this morning? And the hinging question for so many people, whether you're watching online or in the room, is who caused what just happened in my life? And when you don't have a healthy understanding of God's character in your life, you will leave God, you will leave the faith when you think a trauma was from Him. Are you with me? You have to know the character of God. Everybody say character. You have to know the character of God to read Scripture. If you just read Scripture at Leviticus 8 and Matthew 13, and you just start to figure it out, it will not make sense. You have to know the character of your Father, because when we open up the Word, we're not trying to learn more information. We want to know Him. Jesus said, these Scriptures, yeah, they testify about me. It's so that you can know Him. We read the Word to know Him. But I think there's a lot of people out there that are caught up in these two being flipped. So I want to take it a step further. We must separate God allowing and God causing. This is really foundational all the way to your core beliefs about your theology. And we love to have fun here. We love to worship here. But what is your theology? You have to answer this for yourself about what God causes in your life and what he allows. We may not know everything. In fact, we won't. You may not know, okay, did God allow that? Did God cause that? It's not about figuring that out, but you must know the character. Everybody say character. The character of God. So let me repeat this again. God does not want to harm you. He wants to strengthen you. Now, we could have a whole debate about this later, about what I mean by when I say harm. Some of you, let's, let's, let's talk, let's have coffee. 
But 1 Peter 4, 12-13, it says this. Dear friends, Peter says this. I love this. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to, everybody say test, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. How many trials did we have this week that we thought something strange was happening to us? But Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, but I've given you peace. I'm equipping you by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can fight. Verse 13, but rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I want to take this a step further this morning. Many of us blame God for our trauma and we blame others for our trials. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. We blame God for the way that someone completely verbally, physically, maybe even sexually abused us. And the hinging question in the deepest part of our soul is, did God do that to me? We, we blame God for our trauma, but then we blame others for our own mistakes sometimes, because how many of us know our own mistakes can lead us to a place of trial? We want to blame everything on our boss and our past and our friend group and our family, but maybe the problem is in here, right? We want to blame others. We want to point the finger. But I want to take this one step further. When we blame God for trauma, we don't trust him anymore. Because when we blame God for our trauma, then at some point in the deepest part of our heart, we start to believe the lie that God is not good. Well, if God caused that to happen to me, if he took that upon me, if if that person who was abusing me, that was from God, then we just don't trust him anymore because we have our worldview, we have our, our understanding of scripture misunderstood. We have to understand the character of our father. So I want to read you a different passage in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28 through 29. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Just stop there for a second. Anybody ever heard this before? Romans 8, 28. Anybody? Just li- raise your Okay. Uh, anybody like put in your Instagram bio recently with like the Roman numerals? All right. I'm making fun of myself, actually. Um, but I want to pause there for a second. Most of us just stop there. We don't know what verse 29 says. We say, God, in all things, you're working together for my good, which is true. He will take your trials, the trauma, and the tragedies of your life, and he will work it for good. He will take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Can I get an amen? He will take the things that people meant to hurt you, to come against you, that was not from the hand of the Lord, and he will use it as a testimony. We see this in the disciples. But most of us don't know what verse 29 says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Everybody say conform. This is another way to say to be sanctified, to become more like Christ, to the image of his son. So a lot of us will say, well, God is not good or God doesn't want me to be happy. Let me challenge you this morning and say, what is your definition of happiness? If your definition of happiness and success is a fun life with feet kicked up and you're by the boat and you got the house and everything's perfect and no conflict, I would say your version of happiness is very shallow. See, God's version of happiness is what we would call joy, and it's a lot deeper, and it meets you to the deepest part of your entire being, and God wants you to be joyful. 
So in other words, you could, I guess, take me out of context and say, God does want me to be happy, but your version of happiness is not what we think of in our world. Let me challenge you. What if happiness is holiness? What if happiness is holiness? What if Romans 8.28 makes sense because verse 29 says, so that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. See, what happens is when you realize this earth is not the end all be all. When the stats, the likes, and all the stuff you're saving up for is just going to perish one day. And you realize that the kingdom of God is everything you've been hungering for. Then the more you become more like Christ, the more that you lay down the burdens and surrender and grow in character and maturity in the word of God, all of a sudden, holiness is what you begin to start to crave. Holiness becomes your happiness. Where it's less about the circumstances, it's more about your intimacy with Jesus. Are you with me? See, I say this phrase sometimes. I know some people are going to quote me on this and say, Andy's crazy. I always say this phrase, God wants you to be rich. Well, wait, hold up, right? But God doesn't want you to be rich necessarily in the things of this world. He wants you to be rich in intimacy with him. He wants you to be rich in the fruits of the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, as you get born again, as you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you realize that God is for you. So you want to take another step towards Him of sanctification, of following deeper, and saying, I don't need that stuff anymore because holiness is now happiness. It's a whole different worldview. The kingdom is foolishness to the world. But from the riches of His glory, He wants us to become more like Him. I got a lot of blank stares. I hope nobody hates me now or anybody wants to leave, all right? But when you realize and you taste and see that God is good, there's nothing else. Come on, there's nothing else that can satisfy the God void in your heart. There's no relationship. There's no job. There's no Instagram fame. All of a sudden, you want more of Jesus. You want to be fruitful, becoming like Him, reproducing like Him. So uh, can I take a drink for a second? Is that okay? I was at a meeting recently for our denomination. And out of those lists of nine words, my flesh would lean towards wanting to be liked, wanting to be uh, seen by others. And, and that's why uh, the Lord called me to be a pastor. Are you with me? Because a lot of people don't like pastors. And he called me to preach the truth of Jesus Christ, and a lot of people don't like that. So the Lord is humbling me. The Lord is teaching me, if I'm being real with you, that my uh, security is not in what other people have to say about me, but it's what my Father says. That, that's the thing that's really been hard for me. I'm just being real with you. I told you I'd be real. It's fun to have other people say, that's awesome, or you're doing great. And you, you like, who doesn't want to high five, Right? And I was at this meeting recently, and I was about to go, and they were about to talk about our church plant in a different state, and I was getting so excited because I was like, man, they might say something cool about us, and my flesh was kind of like going crazy for saying, are you with me? Let's just be real. Like, I might get a compliment. Come on. And the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks and, and reminded me, Andy, where is your validation? Is it in the praise of man or the praise of God? And And the Lord in that moment blessed me with his adoration of me, that I am a child of God, that I am chosen, that even if I bomb this sermon, guess what? God still loves me. And all of a sudden, this just became a really freeing place. And I walked into this meeting, 
And they didn't say really anything about our church. And in that moment, I knew God was pruning me. God was pruning me. This wasn't a trauma. God is not out to harm me. God is not out to abuse me or manipulate me. That's what people do. That's what Satan does. But God was pruning me. He was reminding me, Andy, you don't need that stuff. I'm going to take it away from you so that your trust would be only in me. Are you with me? I was pruned in the past couple weeks. And so Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, if you don't believe me, let me show you in Scripture. Hebrews, this is a long passage. It says this, In your struggle against sin, you might not have yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We could talk about that for a lot longer. Verse 5, And have you completely forgotten? The writer of Hebrews is encouraging this group of people. Hear the encouragement in this passage. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father and addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Let me just be really real. The Lord disciplines us. That's why I prayed in my prayer. God, may we be disciplined not by a hammer, but by the adjustment of a feather. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when God rebukes you. Because how many of us know we need to be rebuked by God every once in a while? We need to say, hey, uh, you're not as great as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. You need the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The fact that we have breath in our lungs is the grace of God on your life. The fact that your heart is still beating is the grace of God in your life. But the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline, trials. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Verse 8. And if you are not disciplined, if God doesn't discipline us, if he doesn't prune us, then you are not legitimate true sons and daughters of the king at all. Then what even are you? Verse 9. We have all had human fathers who have disciplined us. And let me just pause right there. The moment I say human fathers and discipline, you have a jaded view of discipline. You have a maybe a manipulative view of discipline. Maybe an abusive view of what discipline looks like. So we have to be born again. We have to be filled by the Spirit to see who our heavenly Father is, not our earthly Father. Are you with me? Maybe you don't have an earthly Father, but you have a heavenly one. And he loves you. But we respected them for the discipline. If it was done in the right way, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our, everybody say good, for our good, in order that we would share in his holiness. No discipline, verse 11, seems pleasant at the time. Who wants to go through a trial? Who wants to be tested? Who wants to go through these things? Who wants to be pruned? Not really me, if I'm being honest, in my flesh. However, it's painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of fruitfulness for those who have been trained by it, who have been tested, that have gone through the fire, that have been pressed, that have been squeezed, and then still kept on following Jesus after. Pruning is not punishment. I have a couple last main points, and we'll be done in just a few minutes. Number two this morning is this. If we want to be, ever say, fruitful, we must be faithful. 
A pastor called me recently, and he's a pastor in one of our um, cohorts where we hang out. We discuss what ministry is going on. And he's a pastor from, uh, I think it's Montana. No. Where's it at? Leanza, are you in the room somewhere? Okay. Anyways, I forgot. Buffalo Church is in there. Montana. That's what it is. He prayed for me, and he sent me a voice memo over iMessage. And he, he prayed, and he said, Father, I pray for Andy. And more than I pray for fruitfulness, I pray for faithfulness. See, fruitfulness is by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The fruitfulness of the impact that we have in this world, whatever it's through, all coming back to discipleship, those results are in the hands of God. Are you with me? But faithfulness is up to us. And so he prayed for faithfulness for me. And I can't encourage you as a church, as a body, to be fruitful without being faithful. So John 15, 4-5, Jesus goes on and says this, Remain or abide in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, everybody say, nothing. So here's a scripture from Psalm 1 to give you an Old Testament version of what Jesus is saying. Blessed, and this is the word that we love, we want the blessed life. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law. So what does abide mean? What does remain mean? It means to pause and to surrender to Jesus, giving him everything, sitting in his presence, nourishing on the word of God, praying, living a steadfast life. The people that do that, they meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, we, we love this part of the psalm because we're like, okay, so if I'm fruitful, then I'll prosper. And we love to just highlight that moment. But we want to be fruitful, I'll put it on the screen, without being faithful. We want to have the marriage of the couple that's been married 60 plus years. And we say, oh, that's so cute. Can we just shout out all the long-term marriages in this room right now? Let's be real. I'm serious. We want that without the faithfulness of today, though. And the faithfulness behind closed doors to our spouse. We want to be fruitful. We want the promotion without doing the little things in excellence day in and day out when our boss isn't looking. We want to be fruitful and have a great community, but we gossip and slander people behind their backs all the time. We want to be fruitful without being faithful. We want to skip the process. And I was, I was thinking about this in the June drop. Hang with me here for a moment. This phrase came to my mind of when we do this and we want to skip the process or maybe when we want to leave a relationship prematurely. We leave a job prematurely. We leave a city prematurely. We leave a calling of God prematurely to just settle. It's almost like people don't pick from the fruit. It just falls to the ground. What if there was so much fruit that God wanted you to bear in your life, but you just gave up and it just fell to the ground? Perfectly ripe fruit that was mature, that was ready, but you just, you tapped out. 
put this phrase in my notes. Two things that I felt like I needed to tell someone who's watching online or in the room. Number one is this. Thrive where you are planted. Thrive where you are planted. Oftentimes, we feel like we need to leave a job, a family, a friend, but God, in a lot of these circumstances, not all of them, sometimes it is the right moment to leave. Sometimes he does call us away. That's perfectly true and real. But sometimes, number two, we don't stay long enough to see the fruit. And we get offended. And our boss said this, and that happened at work. And we don't realize we're starting to blame a trial for a trauma. We're starting to blame things that maybe are on our own mistakes or something that God is pruning us in and we tap out and then we just don't even see the fruit. We don't see the fruit in the marriage because we gave up. Because pruning was happening. See, so many people think that when you come into a marriage, the main goal is happiness. Can I tell you, the main goal of marriage is holiness. The main goal of marriage is so that you can look more like Christ, so that we could be like the groom, that we could be like the bride, that the groom lays his life down for the bride. Like, can I speak to the fellows in the room? Real talk for a moment. The purpose of your relationship with your significant one is not for you to get what you want. It's for you to lay your life down as Jesus. I don't want to end with this thought. Number three, as we kind of pull all this together, fresh encounters produce fresh fruit. Okay, so you're telling me, Andy, we need to be fruitful. We need to be faithful. That this is not just about being forgiven, but you want us to be fruitful. So how do we do this? Sarah Kuntz, in her quote, she goes on to say this, branches produce fruit to nourish others, not to satisfy themselves. The more fruit that we are able to produce, the more people we can bless with our spiritual bounty. So the more that we're pruned, the fruit is not for us. The more that we're pressed, squeezed, sharpened, it's not for us, but it's for, everybody say, others. So Jesus is saying, to the believers for a moment. If you believe in me and you are bearing fruit, I'm allowing trials to come into your life to press you, to squeeze you, so that you would become more like me and you would reproduce more like me. To be fruitful. And we could talk about fame. We could talk about just familiarity. We could talk about all these other words of what we're trying to achieve, but God wants us to be fruitful. So how do we do that? I want to put up a phrase on the screen that might seem a little like, duh, okay, there's rotten fruit and there's, everybody say, fresh fruit. I thought of uh, putting a picture of Aliana on the screen of her eating a food that she didn't like in this moment, but I didn't do that. Um, But I was thinking about the difference between rotten fruit and fresh fruit. Anybody like ever go into the back part of your fridge and you find some pineapple that's like, it looks so good. And you take a bite of that, and you're like, what in the world? And you, come on, be real. So there's rotten fruit, and there's fresh fruit. Let me get really real with you. Um, Two things. One, I think a lot of us, when we think about fruitfulness, we kind of go back. Oh, I remember like five, ten years ago when I had like that one 
apple of selflessness in my life. And I shared Jesus with that person like five years ago. Man, I was being fruitful. But there's rotten fruit and there's fresh fruit. And I want to take it a step further. I think the world has a bitter taste of Christianity because believers are lacking fresh encounters with God. They don't have fresh fruit. See, what happens when we don't have fresh fruit, we begin to try to sell our fruit. We begin to be like the people that don't have the fruits of the Spirit, but we're on the side of the street shouting at people, repent, you're going to hell, and we're demeaning, we're abusing, we're manipulating because we don't have fresh fruit. Why do we not have fresh fruit? Because we need a fresh encounter with the living God. Jesus said, abide in me. Have a fresh encounter with me, a fresh surrender to me. Then you will bear fruit. And I'm pruning you so that I will stretch you and expand you so that we can multiply the impact of your life. So it's not just one person you shared Jesus with on your sports team five years ago. It's every week. It's every day. It's every month that you are becoming more like Christ. So Todd White has this quote that I thought is so good. I've shared this before. I want to share it again. He said this, we want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that we don't have to sell our fruit, but people can come pick from our fruit on our tree. What if you are so full of God's love, so full of God's mercy, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness, his joy, whatever fruit of the Spirit you want to name, that people just look at the tree of your life and they just pick from it. Because the, the fruit that you're producing, that you and I are producing, is not for me, it's not for us, it's for them. It's for those that do not know Christ. And the Lord is so kind that He chooses you and I to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's on accident that Jesus died on a tree. Two pieces of wood, nailed together, and He rises from the grave, and then He says, to us, you will now bear fruit. You will be now, like Isaiah says, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Oaks of righteousness. Like what if that was the fruit of your life, of my life? Because I promise you, on your deathbed, on my deathbed, we won't care about the fame. We won't care about the familiarity. We won't care about the fun. We won't care about all of those words. We will care, was I fruitful? Because the fruit will outlast you. So John 15, 8 says this, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Would you just go ahead and stand to your feet this morning? See, many Christians claim to be Christians. You can go ahead and put the next slide up on the screen. Many claim to be Christians but they don't have the fruit to prove it. And let me just be really real. This is what ends up harming people that are not believers. Because when we claim to be a believer, but we don't have fresh fruit, and we're demeaning, we're abusing, we're manipulating, we set a false witness. And then people say, they believe the lie that says God is not good because of the way I was treated that, by that person that claimed to be a believer, but they didn't have any fruit in their life to prove it. This is the last phrase I want to put up on the screen and we'll be done. God desires to take your trials, your trauma, and your tragedies and turn it into a testimony. 
Some things came from the enemy. Some things came from the hand of God. Some things, people just do wicked, crazy things and we're in this broken world. Some things that happen to us are just a result that we live in a fallen world. Can we just be real? This is not how God intended. But I want to bring you all the way back to the beginning. What is your view of the character of God in your life? Do you think that God is out to get you? Or is God the heavenly father that is training, that is pruning, that is testing? Let me just be really real. There's a big difference between you being on a bench press with God, coaching, and he's putting on more weight, and he's pruning, and he's sharpening, versus you being abused as a little kid. There's a major difference between our trials and our trauma. Are you with me? And the world believes all of these crazy shootings that are happening, all of this wicked violence, they look at God and they blame God. They say, God, how could you do this? And I picture the Lord weeping. I picture the Lord's heart breaking in that moment because we know that our God has a heart that is full, that is abundant for you and I. Are you with me? I picture him weeping if he just, he just wants us to know that we are his children. And the Lord allows certain things that we don't have an answer for. And the Lord gives Satan, our enemy, certain parameters. But Jesus is coming again soon, amen? He's coming again soon to take our trials, our trauma, our tragedies, to use it as a testimony, to say no matter what I've been through, it doesn't matter. Like no matter what I've been through, if it was my mistake, if it was someone else's mistake, the Lord works all things together for good. But when this light bulb goes off, all of a sudden you start to filter what happens in your life through a whole different perspective. And if a trial happened this week, you can say, praise God, if holiness is my happiness, I get a chance to become more like Christ. And the more I become more like Christ, the more fulfilled I am, the more joy I have, the more peace I have. What could this world do to harm me? And that's why Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You could kill me, you could manipulate me, it doesn't even matter because I'm going to go be with my Savior. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you that you are always working all things for good, that you are good. That you have plans to prosper us, not to harm us, God. And our version of prospering needs to be recalibrated. It needs to be relearned in our mind because the version of prospering that you have, God, is one that is abundant life, full of joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, forbearance, that we would be like you, the blessed life, God, that you are for us and not against us, that you came to give life. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give life. Thank you, Father. We celebrate that this morning. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give a chance for someone to receive Christ this morning to surrender their whole heart to Jesus, to say, God, I'm all yours. I believe in the message of the cross, the resurrection. And now I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be about it. I want to have both feet in for you, Jesus. The prayer of salvation. If that's you this morning, would you just lift a hand if you want to give your life to God this morning? There's no shame. There's no condemnation. He just says, welcome home. 
He throws his arms around us, kisses us, puts a robe around us, sandals on our feet. If there's anyone that wants to come back home this morning, whether you're watching online or in the room, just raise your hand boldly, unashamedly right now. I see a couple hands. Is there anyone else that wants to give their life to the Lord today? Whoever wants to pray that prayer, this is a real eternal prayer of salvation. Pray this silently in your heart with me. Father, forgive me, for I have fallen short of your glory. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that atones for my sins, for the way I rebelled against you. Thank you that I am forgiven. But I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be fruitful. I want to live a fruitful life. So I don't just believe in the death that you gave for me, but I believe in the resurrection. I believe that your Holy Spirit will now indwell me and I receive the free gift of salvation. Fill me with your spirit so that I would live a fruitful life. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Can we just clap for those who are making that decision this morning? It's the best decision of your life. It's the best decision of your life. I want to end like this. I want to end this way this morning. We take communion once a month here at One Church. Whether you're watching online, I guess we can't throw the elements through the camera. But if you are in the room, we pause. I know some of you are laughing. I just make jokes sometimes, all right? We pause to remember what the Lord did for us as we pray that prayer of salvation. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave it to them. He gave thanks. He said, this is my body that was given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He said, this cup represents the blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And we practice here at One Church what we call open table. So if this is your first time accepting Jesus into your life, if you say, today's the day I'm becoming a believer, take communion today with us. If you're a believer, take communion. The table is open. And I just want to say this um, on a lighthearted note, there is gluten-free options, okay? So uh, there'll be two people up here, Drew and Mara. You can have the gluten-free. It's got the smaller little wafer in there. But as you take this, I just encourage you, go back to your seat. Just have a moment with the Lord. You don't need to rush it. Leanne's is just going to play for a second. Come through the outside of your aisles on the outside, and then go back through the middle. Take this together, and let's worship. We'll be done in just a moment.